0: During today's episode, I'm going to be telling you about a podcast I think you should be checking out. It's called The Politics of Everything, so hear me out mid-show when I tell you all about it. And now, welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast in which we shall take a look at the bizarre halo effect that seems to be surrounding Elon Musk and then thoroughly puncture it by just explaining a few things about him and his companies. Clips today are from Second Thought, Deconstructed, The Young Turks, Some More News, The Majority Report, What Next, TBD, and Left Reckoning with an additional members-only clip from Tech Won't Save Us.
1: At the heart of every favorable depiction of a billionaire is this idea that they have earned their success and their wealth the most compelling stories are those of billionaires who, through sheer hard work and grit, so we're told, have conquered the American dream and made a better life for themselves, those around them, and our society as a whole. But there are a number of reasons this is simply incorrect. We'll get to exactly how this idea is wrong in a second. But first, we should talk about why the myth of self-made billionaires is such a problem. For starters, vanishingly few people ever become billionaires. In the US, it's around 600 people, or 0.0002% of the population. Perversely, however, the myth of the self-made billionaire tries to trick you into believing that anybody, yes, even you, dear viewer, could one day be just like them. After all, if they can do it, so can you. You already know how they attempt to sell this falsehood. It's always so incredibly simple. They tell you they started from nothing, that they were once just like you. They, too, had a 9-to-5 job that they hated. They, too, had trouble paying their bills. But instead of complaining, they just worked harder. And eventually, after 100-hour work weeks, they were able to lift themselves up by their bootstraps and just look at them now. Here's where the problems start. If they can successfully convince you that one, they have earned their wealth, and two, that you can do it, too, they can use those two assumptions to convince you of some far more nefarious things. For starters, they can convince you to act against your own self-interest and the interest of the vast majority of Americans. The most obvious example of this is making it seem like it would be better for everyone if billionaires paid less in taxes. If we just got the government out of the way of these people who have proven to us that they are visionaries, that they alone know how to manage money. To be clear, the ultra-rich already have a good way of avoiding taxes. You can see exactly how they do it in our video How Billionaires Pay Less in Taxes Than You. But, of course, that doesn't matter, since they'll always try to lower that number further and further. The more they do, the less money goes towards things that actually affect your day-to-day life. Roads, public services, healthcare, education. The more they keep of the wealth they have no intention of spending in the first place, the worse off we all are. They'll convince you that that might be you someday. That when you're in their shoes, you'll want the same thing. After all, what's the government ever done for you? we'll get to just how much it's done for them. But first, let's get back to the self-made story. In some cases, that story is simply a blatant lie. Take Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. The last decade's favorite billionaire duo loves to weave a compelling story of their 100% American-made success. Jeff Bezos likes to tell this story of a young guy who built a strong work ethic at his McDonald's job. He loves to emphasize how it was his hard work that eventually landed him a spot at Princeton then on Wall Street, and finally pushed him to one day risk it all on the crazy idea of selling books on the internet. His story reaches a dramatic pause when he starts Amazon out of a garage with nothing but a dream, and it resumes satisfyingly when his company becomes the internet giant it is today. Elon Musk tells a very similar story, that of an industrious kid, bullied for being too nerdy and into science fiction, who climbed out of adversity and overcame the all-too-common American hurdles of student loan debt and people not believing in him with the sheer ingenuity of his entrepreneurship. These stories are, of course, embellished, and while individual elements of them may not be false, the overall image they're trying to sell you is a lie because it wasn't the novelty of Amazon alone that catapulted it to the center of the internet, so much as the absurd head start that an initial $300,000 investment that Jeff's parents gave him. And although Musk likes to play up his version of the Everyman story too, his family is most infamously known for his father's ownership of a lucrative emerald mine and role as a property developer in apartheid South Africa. These people didn't start from nothing. It wasn't just hard work. Billionaires never get there alone. They get there in any combination of three ways. One, family wealth and privilege. Two, labor exploitation. And three, government help. Let's start with number one. Family wealth and privilege explains the success of a lot of the billionaires that sit at the top of our social hierarchy. We've already seen how much of a role family wealth played in the success of even the quote self-made celebrity billionaires like Musk and Bezos, so it should come as no surprise that the great majority of billionaires have similarly favorable advantages. The racial and gender makeup of the billionaire class is not an accident. It is no surprise then that the people who face the fewest societal hurdles, white men, overwhelmingly dominate the Forbes rankings, while women and people from racial minority groups only make up a fraction. But privilege doesn't explain every single billionaire's climb to the top. Exploitation, however, does. What do we mean when we say exploitation? Those familiar with Marxist literature will already know that exploitation is the expropriation of surplus value from labor by capital. Okay, but what does that mean? It's actually very simple. According to Marx, society is divided into two classes. The owner class, the bourgeoisie, and the working class, the proletariat. I promise I'll make this quick. The owner class, people who own businesses, factories, farms, and so on, offer a deal to the working class. Work or starve. As you already know, just about every single one of us takes that deal. So, what do the owner class say? They say that for X amount of hours worked, workers will be paid Y amount of money in order for that deal to be profitable for the owner class they need to pay workers less money than the value they actually produce that difference is what marx calls surplus value the money that you make for the company will always be more than the money the business puts back into your hands in the form of a paycheck otherwise it has no money to give the people who own the company the stakeholders who may never have even stepped foot on the premises If you want an idea of just how much value business owners steal from their workers, just look at this Ohio pizza shop, where for one day the owner decided not to siphon off that surplus value and instead put it back into the hands of the workers. The result? Employees made $78 an hour. That's the Marxist definition of exploitation, and every single capitalist business in the world relies on it, whether they want to or not. The most egregious examples, of course, are those we see with billionaires' companies, in which figureheads who no longer work on or only ever held stock in the company walk away with hundreds of millions of dollars a year. But even with a more relaxed definition of exploitation, we see this kind of behavior playing a massive role in billionaires' wealth. You may have recently heard of exploitation occurring in newly minted billionaire Rihanna's Fenty Beauty factories or Beyonce's Ivy Park sweatshops. It's immediately obvious to us how sweatshop labor is clearly exploitative when workers, often children, make mere sense for each grueling hour spent in unsafe conditions. Compare that to the billionaire status of those at the top, and it's impossible not to see something deeply wrong and exploitative in the working arrangements they have created. While Rihanna and Beyonce might be the face of the club this week, They are no more or less culpable than their mega-wealthy peers, those whose less glamorous companies manage to avoid the spotlight. Once again, how does this kind of behavior make a person self-made? That brings us to point number three, government help. Here, the conservative and libertarian views of the world's billionaires are the most evidently hypocritical. Elon Musk is probably one of the biggest offenders, so let's come back to him for a second. Musk often talks about the government in very disfavorable terms. He regularly decries government regulation, does everything he can to avoid taxation, and fiercely defends the belief that markets should be free. That said, the billionaire's companies, SpaceX, Tesla, and SolarCity, would have no hope of existing without the government's absurd $4.9 billion in loans and tax breaks. We're using Musk as a flagrant example here. But the nature of our current economy is that throughout the entirety of the chain of production, government subsidies are granted from public money only for the profits to be privatized by people who hoard wealth at a level we haven't seen since the Gilded Age.
2: I've never been a fan of Elon Musk. Never bought the shtick. Elon Musk is a genius. A crazy genius, no doubt. Is Elon Musk a
3: genius? Uh, Elon Musk is a genius.
4: President Trump calling Elon Musk a genius. CEO Elon Musk is a true visionary. Is he a,
3: a true visionary? He is an absolute
5: visionary. The Atlantic asking whether Musk is the greatest living inventor.
3: Elon Musk is possibly the greatest living inventor.
5: Are you sincerely trying to save the world?
2: Well, I'm trying to do good things, yeah. I mean, but
5: you're trying to do good things and you're
6: a
2: billionaire. I mean, yeah,
5: that seems a little bit like either superhero or supervillain.
2: You have to choose one. I'm team supervillain. I am. Yeah, the cars are great. I'm not questioning his technology or products, though it's worth pointing out that Musk only gets to call himself a co-founder of Tesla, even though he joined the year after the company was actually named and founded, because he settled out of court with one of the two actual co-founders of the company back in 2009 in order to claim that right. But that's by the by. And this is not a show about Tesla or its cars. I'm not here to question them, but to question him, Musk, the man, the brand, the cult, yes, cult because there are a certain type of people, often young, male, anti-establishment, a bit libertarian, who hang on his every word, especially online, where they defend their guru, their prophet, their hero on social media, on YouTube, with all the intensity and even viciousness that you'd expect from cult members. And by the way, on the subject of cults and fanboys, even Donald Trump has heaped praise on Elon Musk.
5: He's one of our great geniuses and we have to protect our genius. You know, we have to protect Thomas Edison and we have to protect all of these people that uh, came up with originally the light bulb and uh, the wheel and all of these things. And he's one of our very smart people and we want to we cherish those people. That's very important, but he's done a very good job.
2: He's a genius. He's a contrarian. He goes against the conventional wisdom, takes risks, takes on power and authority. He's the real life Iron Man. The thing is, I'm old enough to remember when Musk, back in 2009, had to borrow nearly half a billion dollars from the Department of Energy just to keep Tesla afloat in the wake of the financial crash. He and his supporters like to brag about the fact that Tesla paid back that loan nearly 10 years early. But the point is not that it paid it back or even paid it back quick. The point is that he had to go to the government, the evil, dreaded federal government, in the first place for a bailout, for help from Washington. In fact, an investigation by the LA Times in 2015 found that Musk's various companies between them have benefited from an estimated $4.9 billion in government support and subsidies over the years. And yet this is a man who extols the virtues of capitalism and the free market, who's become one of the world's richest men before the age of 50 a gazillionaire who likes to call himself somewhat libertarian, but also likes to grab taxpayer money. Funny that. Then again, he's also rather ridiculously called himself a socialist, which he's not, of course. There's nothing socialist about him. But like so many super rich self-styled intellectuals, he's not very well read. Musk once claimed Marx was a capitalist because he said, and I kid you not, Marx wrote a book on capital. Yeah, Das Kapital, the book in which socialist Karl Marx outlines how capitalism will destroy itself. Oh, Elon. But look, Musk is a true BS merchant and the ultimate attention seeker, whether on Twitter or in real life. Remember the 12 boys and their soccer coach who were trapped in a cave in northern Thailand in the summer of 2018, about to drown?
4: the youth soccer team remains trapped in a thai cave no clear way out
2: the danger grows
4: for those thai children trapped in a cave why a rescue may have to be attempted soon
7: ready or not
2: musk saw that news and immediately turned up in thailand with a miniature kid-sized submarine that he said would help rescue them The Thai authorities disagreed and said it wasn't practical. So did the British diver Vernon Unsworth, who ended up actually saving the kids from the cave and quite reasonably called Musk's proposal a PR stunt. So what did Musk do? He called Unsworth a pedo and a child rapist. Unsworth, not surprisingly, sued the Tesla boss for defamation. But Musk won that case in court because, of course, if there's one thing that the US justice system is really good at, it's looking after the interests of rich white men. Talking of race, by the way, Tesla under Musk has faced multiple lawsuits alleging the company is a toxic hotbed of racism and discrimination. Three employees claimed that the environment there was so bad as to be, quote, straight from the Jim Crow era. And when one former employee complained that the Tesla boss class were ignoring black workers complaints of rampant racism, Musk sent out an email telling his workers only to be more, and I quote, thick skinned, thick skinned. On a side note, Musk grew his own thick skin back in apartheid South Africa, where he had a lavish childhood because his dad owned an emerald mine. But it's not just allegations of racism, there's the actual working conditions at Tesla. Forbes magazine last year found that between 2014 and 2018, Tesla was the subject of 24 health and safety investigations, resulting in almost a quarter of a million dollars of fines for 54 violations a much higher level of fines and violations than for other U.S. car makers. In 2018, an investigation by Reveal News into injuries at the Tesla car plant in Northern California revealed how a safety professional at the company went to her boss to complain about the lack of yellow hazard lines and pedestrian markings on the factory floor. And she was told, quote, Elon does not like the color yellow. I mean, this guy is beyond parody.
8: Musk. Oh, that guy. From Tesla. Um, he's known for these brutal workplaces that we've seen going around. But um, what we haven't seen so much is that it's also a hotbed for racism, harassment, all across the board. Uh, because yesterday, California Civil Rights Agency, they filed a lawsuit against the company uh, from the plant in Fremont on behalf of thousands of black workers who experienced blatant discrimination on the job. Uh, now, this is after a decade of complaints and a 32-month investigation. These are some of the allegations that some of the workers have experienced there. Tesla segregated black workers into separate areas that its employees referred to as, quote, porch monkey stations. That's that's great. The dark side, the slave ship, the plantation is what this lawsuit alleges. Only black workers had to scrub floors on their hands and knees, and they were relegated to the Fremont, California factory's most difficult physical jobs is what this suit also states. Graffiti, including uh KKK go back to Africa, the hangman's noose, the Confederate flag and F inward were carved into restroom walls, workplace benches and lunch tables and were slow to be erased. Also what this lawsuit says, not only were Tesla's black workers subjected to willful malicious harassment, but they were also denied promotions and paid less than other workers for the same jobs. They were disciplined for infractions for which other workers were not penalized. Now this all comes when the percentages and the workers, uh, the number of workers here at this plant, uh, where twenty percent of their uh, of of the Tesla's factory assemblers were black, but there's no black executives and just three of the three percent of the professionals at the Fremont plant are black, is what this lawsuit also says. Uh, this always comes straight to my mind is how everyone's saying, "Hey Elon, come on to Texas." Come on to Texas, we don't care about our uh citizens' rights either. Maybe you can hire some more folks and treat them like this too. Now, we don't know if Elon is running around the plant going, here, do this, do that. But we do know that this culture and this atmosphere was definitely allowed. And whoever was hired to oversee this stuff definitely allowed it to go on. So last October, uh, as a part of this as well, there was a San Francisco federal court. They ruled that Tesla must pay former worker Owen Diaz approximately $137 million dollars after he experienced racism while working for the company. And um, the reason why he was able to even to settle with this is because this one technicality because they really never want this to happen and maybe they do know how it looks. Let's read this part. According to Diaz's attorney, the case was only able to move forward because the worker had not signed one of Tesla's mandatory arbitration agreements. Tesla uses mandatory uh, arbitration to compel employees to resolve disputes behind closed doors rather than in a public trial. That's weird. It's like they kind of don't want anyone to know about what could potentially go on. Maybe they know what's going on. Uh, before we get to some of the sexual harassment, let's start with this uh, these racial divisions and injustices. It's an allegation California is suing. And so
3: whenever you see a lawsuit, we always tell you, uh, look, let's see how it turns out first. Uh, we'll tell you what the allegations are, but they have not been adjudicated yet. Um, so then you have to see, well, is there any legitimacy to it or not based on the evidence that we already see in public? So what's the evidence that we see here? Well, this is not one or two isolated cases. These are not mild words. Oh Well, you know, it was around the edges. This is nowhere near the edges. Okay, this is over the top. And there are hundreds of allegations. On top of that, Elon Musk actually wrote an email to his employees saying, hey, listen, you know what, you just got to have tough skin. No, no, no I, I believe in thick skin. I, okay, I get it. Because we can't all you know, operate based on if one person at a giant company gets offended or hurt, everyone else has to change policy. So you have to do a balancing act, right? But you can't tell people after they complain about nooses being hung and being, you know, and I can't even repeat the things that, that JR just said. Ah, just get some thick skin. You know what that says? Green light. Do whatever you want to the black employees. There's going to be no consequences. That's why you don't have a couple of cases. You have hundreds of cases. (laughs) And then the last part is, well, it has been adjudicated that one person sued the Jared just told you about and won $137 million. You know why? Most of it was punitive damages because the jury was enraged at what was happening at Tesla when they saw the actual evidence. And so- now, I've seen right-wingers online going like, oh, look at this, it's absurd, man. You say the wrong word, and it's $137 million. No, no, when a company does it over and over again and rubs your face in it, when you finally get to the one case that could go to court because they're burying everything else in arbitration, the jury unleashes and says, no, not on our watch. This is exactly what you're not supposed to be doing, you monster. Right. So, um, yeah, everything you guys
7: said is uh, is accurate. But one thing that I remember when like, seeing, and there were many obviously, but seeing the differences between Obama's rhetoric and Donald Trump's rhetoric was when Obama said, I'm the president, I take responsibility for everything. Now granted, obviously he didn't all the time, but it's a nice thing to say. And then Donald Trump saying, I take no responsibility at all during the height of COVID. Now, how I view Elon Musk is This is what he kicked other CEOs out to then rule. This is his baby. This is his thing. This is what he wants to be known for aside from SpaceX. This is his jam. So if it is this systemic over and over again, he should be answering for this. He should be answering for putting those people in those positions or at least hiring people to then put those other people in those positions. Some of the stuff that was brought up in the Times piece is abhorrent, disgusting, there should be consequences for it. But as JR said, I find it rather interesting that they're saying, well, we're going to move to Texas as if that's like some sort of weird distraction. It's not like one of one of the parts that I saw as well. Uh, the lawsuit claims a female black employee said her female white boss struck her with a hot grinding tool and called her stupid in the N-word and insulted her intelligence. The suit said the supervisor was fired, but then rehired. Hmm. So it goes to show if this allegation is true, they're not even punishing those that are doing all of this abuse to their minority employees.
0: Just a quick interruption to let you know that my friends over at the New Republic magazine have a podcast. It's called The Politics of Everything, and it explores the intersection of culture, politics, and media— with bi-weekly interviews with scholars and journalists, and it just so happens that we've already featured a clip of theirs for members a few weeks ago that did a really wonderful deep dive on young conservatives who are coming of age now, which is profoundly shaping their particular style of conservatism, making it very distinct from past generations. I was really impressed with that, and more recently, I was really happy to see them tackling the issue of the Biden administration and COVID, since their efforts looked like they were starting off pretty well, only to fall into disrepair within a year. So you can see they are not beholden to the mainstream topics, and they will go where the interesting ideas lead them. The show's hosts are The New Republic's literary editor, Laura Marsh, and contributing writer, Alex Perine. You can find The Politics of Everything wherever you get your podcasts.
9: They're all pretty bad all part of a similar mentality, Elon and Gates and the Bez, all shiny Bez, and it can really be best summed up by very wealthy tech nerds who fantasize about getting us to a Star Trek future, except for the part where money doesn't exist and employees are treated with respect, because it's hard to actually be utopian leaning when you own all the money. And so what they really have is a sort of top-down thinking where you try to create the end result or aesthetic of a utopia without actually doing the structural work needed to earn that. Shoot for Star Trek, skip a bunch of steps and hoard your wealth, and instead get The Expanse. Because, again, some of the structural work would involve taking a bunch of their money... Amazon wants a future where you can order anything you want on a device and get it that day without thinking of the toll that would take on local businesses and of course their employees. Automation is invented without considering a universal basic income for the jobless it would create. And of course, Tesla is creating time cop vehicles that drive themselves and run on electric power without considering that its cool future shape is tragic on pedestrians or that most firefighters have no idea how to put out their car fires and most Most people are going to abuse the autopilot and so on. And like, I really can't stress enough that I'm not trying to knock these inventions or technological progress. Of course, I'd like one of these cars and would accept one if, for example, given to me and my crew for free in exchange for being less critical because I take bribes. But these inventions, mean exactly nothing without a change in infrastructure and human rights to allow society to actually enjoy and benefit from them. Space communism didn't pop up because capitalists made personal rockets and batteries. As important as electric cars are, they're actually useless in terms of the environment if their batteries are charged from fossil fuels, which a lot of them are. And some people even argue that their construction process, plus this fossil fuel fact, doesn't make them much better for the planet. But I'm not a car doctor, it rather just strikes me as a great example of this top-down thinking, where Tesla is only now dabbling with the idea of setting up battery-powered cities that still need an energy source, and from there might finally think about actually generating renewable energy on a scale that would actually help. But in fairness, we don't expect other car companies to worry about this kind of thing. But also, in fairness, we don't treat the CEOs of other car companies like they're going to save the world or make lists about how great of an inventor they are. And I really can't stress this enough. Elon Musk hasn't invented anything. He has smartly invested in a lot of technology that already exists. And the extent of a lot of his ideas was to take a thing we have and think, but what if online? It's a pretty common tactic. You take a thing. Make it compatible with the internet, design it to look a little more slick, and charge more for it. Then hope that people don't notice and call you a genius. Tesla's first $100,000 sports car versus the way more affordable electric cars that were coming out at the same time. Or Lyft inventing the city bus and calling it something else and charging more money for it. Or inventing SlimFast again. Or Elon Musk coming up with the idea for trees. Although to be fair, he has donated a million dollars to plant trees, which is only $159 million less than that lawsuit I mentioned. And this seems as good a time as any to talk about Musk's boring tunnel, a great example of reinventing a thing that already works fine. What began as a really expensive way for Elon Musk to personally avoid traffic, the idea sold to the public was a futuristic new way for drivers to go long distances without interruptions of traffic a sort of super-fast carpool lane promising to take people from Westwood to LAX in only five minutes. The final concept was a system of super-fast sleds that your car would descend into and then gleam that cube all the way to your destination. Real Jetsons trash that we love to imagine without really thinking about the logistics of. And did I mention that The Boring Company is actually an offshoot of SpaceX? That's gonna be important later. By 2017, Musk was talking about installing these future tunnels in other cities like DC and New York and Texas and so on. In 2019, Musk was able to drive Tesla cars at around 116 miles per hour through this paved tunnel, provided they were controlled by a person and not by their autopilot feature, which despite its name is not an autopilot. But it was about this time that the public started to ask a very relevant question, which was, wait. Did you just make a tunnel? Because we have those. But to be fair, again, still, Elon's tunnels aren't like other tunnels in that they are really small and therefore inescapable in an emergency. So, there. Things get more hilarious as a tweet the year before revealed that Musk had decided that the boring tunnels would prioritize pedestrians and cyclists over cars, meaning that it wasn't so much a super tunnel for cars as it was a... Subway system? Cut to now, and Musk had somehow managed to sell this idea to Las Vegas only after failing in Chicago. Do we have a clip of his pitch to the city?
2: Well, sir, there's nothing on Earth like a genuine bona fide electrified six-car monorail. What I say? Monorail.
9: This actual footage was back in 2018, when the city of Las Vegas put out a request for proposals for a new people-moving system, starting with a convention center. They chose Musk out of several other proposals after promises of a cheaper process resulting in a futuristic shuttle system. So, after all those millions, what did they come up with?
5: Well, as you descend the escalator into the loop station,
0: you see the Teslas waiting to whisk you into a tunnel 43 feet below ground. Now, you might think, all right, it's like a subway. But this is more like a highway underground. Great
9: Scott! It's like being regaled by the labyrinthine tales of some Wellesian sorcerer. Stairs that move downward, you say? Highways beneath the earth? Impossible, I tell you! This CNBC clip continues hilariously as the people of Las Vegas try extremely hard to pretend like they weren't completely grifted into reinventing Boston's big dig. Here's how it works. You enter the station and call for a Tesla.
0: The system operates like an Uber or a Lyft, uh, where you have an app on your phone. You say, I'm here. I want to go there. Car comes up, has an identifier on it that matches with what is on the app on your phone. Passengers don't have to make multiple stops because there are multiple exits. You go directly to your station of choice. The convention center has three, but
5: plans are in the works to build a loop system citywide.
9: Congratulations on creating a literal highway? only in a very small space and underground and therefore less safe, especially for Teslas which catch on fire more than other cars, which all means that the tunnel can only carry a fraction of the traffic Musk promised it would, specifically only about 800 passengers an hour and not the 4,400 the convention had aimed for. That's about 19,000 people per day, assuming it runs all day, compared to the 4.3 million who use the subway in New York. Did I mention that you can't drive your car and have to call a Tesla driver to come get you. You go down an escalator, call a taxi, and then have someone drive you through a colorful tunnel and drop you off. It's managed to be worse than both a subway and a highway somehow. It makes you sort of question Elon's predictive abilities. It makes you sort of question how much of an innovative futurist thinker he actually is. And it all kind of makes you wonder if Elon Musk really thinks this is the future of transportation so much as an expression of his distaste for being around other people and an excuse to test out his boring machine. Remember how I said it was developed as SpaceX? Well, that's because Elon's actual hopeful use for it, is to mine on Mars. Of course it is. In other words, this Vegas project, his LA tunnel, all seems like a way to test a prototype and get paid for it and sell the dirt to the poor as an aside. What actually goes in the tunnels is merely an afterthought and conveniently involves Tesla cars he already built as opposed to a train or shuttle. Like, the Vegas plans didn't even include a design for turnstiles or any way to regulate the flow of passengers. It didn't have any way to deal with fire regulations because they didn't actually care or know what they were doing. Because pretty much any infrastructure planning Elon does on Earth sure seems like it's all just a big test for Mars, which is not Earth.
10: elon musk has uh, a take on what the role of government is um and and it's it's like basically taken out of a 13 year old's mouth who just read atlas shrugged
11: you know at some point really what you're doing is capital allocation so you're not it's not money for personal expenditures it's it, what you're doing is, is capital allocation and it does not make sense to take uh the, the job of capital allocation away from people who have demonstrated great skill in capital allocation you know, to, yeah. uh, you know, an entity that has demonstrated very poor skill in, in capital allocation, which is the government. Uh, I mean, you can think of the government essentially uh, as a corporation in the limit. Uh, it, it is, it is, a, the government is simply the biggest corporation with a monopoly on violence and with, and where you have no recourse.
10: He's doing a, uh, a Wall Street Journal summit there. There's two things I just want to point out. I wrote down like the, the role of the government being for capital allocation. That's like an anti-government, anti-democratic, pro-fascist view. That's not the role of what government is supposed to be, even though I'm sure like based on his contracts and discussions with certain government officials maybe that's what he perceives it as but that's not what it's supposed to be as and then when he says that the government has a monopoly on violence i don't know like Reopening your Tesla facility in the middle of a global pandemic where hundreds of your factory workers got sick with a deadly viral infection that we didn't even know what the consequences of would be. Um, that might be a construed as violence against them since they could have long COVID or die or have repercussions from that. Like that's pretty damn violent and you did that.
11: Well, I'd also just say on the particularly on the monopoly of violence thing, we don't monopolize it nearly enough because <laughs> we have a, a mercenary groups that we allow to just go to different countries and things like that. We should have of, we shouldn't allow any uh, like mercy, like Tiger Swan. We,
12: like this is all privatized. We literally well, outsourced- he's, he's, he's complaining that the they have the government has the ability to put you in jail if you 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 don't pay your taxes. Yeah. But but we should be clear: the government is uh, no more like a corporation than um, any enterprise or institution is like a corporation. The fundamental difference between a government. And a corporation is that there is theoretically at least some type of accountability to the public. We are not even shareholders. We all have the same theoretical, I guess, share in our government. That is the fundamental difference. And if you just hand wave that difference away, the rest is, I'll say it again, just commentary. The rest is just BS. If you don't accept the premise that an inherent good of a government, and I'm talking just, I'm talking generically speaking of a government, because you can have a corrupt government and a bad government, but government, the inherent good of a government is that it is accountable to the people. It's first, its primary function is to be accountable to the people.
10: Oh, it's not capital
11: allocation? So Yeah. Do we think that in this year 2021 where we're running up against the limit of what the globe can handle in terms of like the atmosphere and the way that capitalists invest in say like oil technology and like, do we really think that capitalists have done such a really great job in allocating the capital?
12: And, and let's be Clear. clear government does allocate capital that's all that is all our politics does is determine who gets what money that's it everything that we do as a society and it's just a question of who's getting the money and in this society that we have now the money runs towards those with more money goes to elon musk to put a tunnel underneath las vegas it goes to it goes to uh, uh, wealthy in terms of uh, subsidizing their um, their means in which to create greater profits. It goes uh, to the wealthy insofar as that their taxes um, are are in some way subsidizing it. Like, look where when you get a reduction in your capital gains tax versus your income tax, we, we're, we're, that's a subsidy. There is no society which doesn't redistribute wealth. You want to call a capital allocation, call a capital allocation, whatever it is. They say that because it's because it's a if you say capital allocation, it really does obscure and make it seem like this is a technological choice. And we need to deal with efficiency as opposed to the primary function of society, which is accountability and a democracy, which is um, everybody participating in. In both the decision making of the allocation of our resources as a society, yeah. and in the benefits of it,
11: the way he says he 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 pulls short of saying we shouldn't take the. Uh duties of allocating capital out of the hands of capitalists because if you said that everyone would be like yeah you idiot what are you going to go have trump go build another golf course with it Right. he says the people who have proven to have done it well that's not how you become a capitalist you well, don't have to, and, and, well,
12: how do you prove this to your dad when he gives you like some uh, skimmings from the emerald mine and and let's be clear elon musk does not exist without our government allocating resources. None of these, if you think that things have turned out well, it's because the government has made it possible for those things to turn out well. It's not a coincidence that Tesla is in America as opposed to, I don't know, Somalia. It's because there is a, there is a, a, a government that creates an environment that makes it possible for these entities to flourish.
11: Yeah, Elon's the guy that said, we'll coup anyone we want when someone was talking about Bolivian lithium. and yeah. Because that's why he's in America. Is because exactly. Because he actually likes that monopoly Exactly.
12: It serves him. Exactly. And it's just like, the, you know, it's just a question of like, who gets control of those levers? And there are times, and maybe it's a, a constant state of vigilance that you have to be in, where the wrong people have control of the control panel. And and to some extent, it's a legitimate argument. I think to say like it's always been the wrong people, but within that set of wrong people, there are people who are really really wrong, and people who are a little bit less wrong. And the 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 material difference for thousands, hundreds, millions of people um, lies in the balance.
10: Yeah, and like if the government was actually acting as a corporation. I doubt that they would have just benevolently been giving Elon Musk basically subsidies to allow him to limit the risk of his kooky ventures that are actually not as innovative as he pretends they are. But
12: but the point is, is that like a government doesn't act as a corporation. Yeah. A corporation acts as a government, but it's just a private one. Yeah. And that's the point. Like the government supersedes a corporation. A corporation does not exist in nature. It does not exist, whether it's the king or whether it's uh, a, a democratic government or whatever. There is no corporation in a vacuum. This is the childlike libertarian fantasy.
4: If no account was dominating the whole platform the way Trump did... There is one that maybe comes close. 80 million followers, an avid fan of Twitter polls. You know who I'm talking about.
13: How does Elon Musk use Twitter? Um, I think he uses it perfectly. Tesla famously does not spend on marketing, does not have a PR department. He literally, with his account, replaces entire corporate functions. One of the most brilliant ways he uses it is... In how he replies and how he elevates other accounts. And then once you elevate an account, they essentially remain loyal to you. People regularly tweet how proud they are that he replied directly to them. So he creates this following that's so hyper-engaged and hyper-loyal to him. So I think, I think at every level, he is the best user of the platform.
4: Musk's tweets are enigmatic and weird. Sometimes they come in the middle of the night. And for years, everything he tweets has been under scrutiny, in particular from the Securities and Exchange Commission. And while the word securities regulation might make your eyeballs glaze over, the SEC's job is to make sure that if Musk tweets from the hip, whatever he says doesn't jeopardize the stock market or people's investments. August
13: 2018 was when it really started. Elon Musk had tweeted that he's considering taking Tesla private at $420 and then followed
4: up and said that funding was secure. Those tweets sent Tesla's stock flying.
1: Indeed, as the stock surged, the questions swirled. Who was providing the financing? What buyout shops would assist Musk in any kind of take private? How finalized is some sort of deal? And is $420 per share a real buyout price? The
4: SEC saw them and sued Musk for misleading investors. September
13: 2018, the SEC and Musk had reached a settlement. And there's a few different things that happened. First, Musk and Tesla each had to pay $20 million, which for the now world's richest man, obviously, this stuff is nothing. Uh, Musk could no longer be the chairman of Tesla. But then the third most relevant thing for, uh, for what's happening this week, he Tesla would have to put in place a process where any of Musk's statements that could include blog posts or tweets or anything like that had to be go through some kind of internal legal process to make sure that they were vetted. And it was kind of, everyone would joke, it was like Musk's Twitter sitter, his babysitter overseeing his tweets.
4: We can't know for sure, but based on his Twitter, it seems like Musk has not listened to his babysitter. In November 2021, he polled his followers on Twitter on whether he should sell 10% of his Tesla shares. They said yes. Musk sold $16 billion in stock, which triggered a broad Tesla sell-off. Yet again, the SEC was not thrilled. It subpoenaed Tesla after he sent the poll. I think if you are not someone who follows financial markets or is particularly fascinated by, you know, how the SEC works, you might be like, okay, why, why is it a big deal what Elon Musk tweets? Like, yeah, he's a wacky billionaire. Why does the SEC get so upset by this? I mean,
13: if you can just imagine, if Tim Cook, Apple's trading around 170 right now, if he came out and just out of nowhere said they're taking the company private at 200, or that our iPhone production is going to be twice what we said a week ago in an official earnings call, the stock's going to go crazy. And that stock is in the retirement accounts or you know how many Americans own that stock. It's going to gyrate like crazy. Maybe it goes up in the short term, and then you find out it's not true, and then it collapses. If you're the CEO of a public company, you just can't make completely false or You know, unpredictable statements about the entire financial future of your public company where pension funds, people's retirements are all resting on these kind of tweets and these statements. We've spent, you know, like a hundred years of financial market regulatory action to build a system of communications to regulate how executives can talk about their companies. Living in the US, you have such an advantage financially in part because our markets, everyone in the world wants to be taking their companies public in them because they work so well, especially relative to many other countries. And that's the thing that's in danger right now.
4: Do you think it's fair to say that Elon Musk is thumbing his nose at those 100 years of rules of the road by the way he tweets? Yes, of course.
13: Remember, Elon Musk went on 60 Minutes and openly said, I do not respect the SEC.
4: I, 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 want, to, I want to be clear.
11: I do not respect the SEC. I do not respect them.
13: But, but you're abiding by the settlement, aren't you?
11: Because I respect the justice system.
13: He tweeted shortly after their settlement, uh, S- is a three-letter acronym, middle word Elons, which I will let any listener figure out the wordle puzzle there. But like, he's been very vocal that even in his recent court filings, that the SEC is chilling his freedom of expression. He believes he should not be penalized for making public statements like he has in the past.
4: When we come back, is Elon Musk's stake in Twitter a middle finger to the SEC or something else? In February, Ranjan says, things between Elon Musk and the SEC really heated up. Tesla disclosed the subpoena over the Twitter poll. Then Musk and his lawyer claimed in a letter that the SEC was leaking information about him. On Twitter, he implied that the SEC was corrupt and colluding with hedge funds. Then in March, he filed a legal motion to have his original SEC settlement thrown out.
13: I'm sitting there I'm like why is he doing this? He he literally after this original settlement he has his Twitter babysitter. The SEC is supposed to be watching him. He's doing whatever he wants. And Tesla becomes the most valuable company in the world. And even right now, as of early March, Tesla as a business operationally is kind of humming along at the best it's been doing in a long time. So there was no reason he should be escalating this feud with the SEC and making such a big deal about it out of nowhere. They had this detente for like a couple of years. Suddenly, he started making moves that it felt like something was just off, that there was no reason to be legally escalating things at that point.
4: So why do you think he was doing it?
13: Okay. So we have come to find out. We can kind of go through a few possible reasons. Why has Musk done any of this? But Musk started buying shares of Twitter January 31st.
4: We know this from securities filings.
13: Securities filings. This just came out this week. Then February 7th, he starts this escalation with the SEC. He starts pushing it much, much faster. In At the end of January, early Feb, he was also tweeting a lot about the truck Canadian truckers, freedom of speech. And he has also equated this entire SEC enforcement saga around his freedom of speech being chilled. So w- whatever the exact catalyst was, was it the SEC? Was it the Canadian truckers? Clearly this topic of Free speech was on his mind. The SEC was on his mind. He equates the SEC enforcement around free speech. So at some point, he decided, I'm going to become the largest shareholder of Twitter. I am going to get myself on the board of Twitter. And I'm going to escalate things with the SEC and make this something that either I have to win or lose, but something's got to give. All this was happening in throughout the months of February and March.
4: You really think it's that calculated? He couldn't just be a rich dude who wants to have fun on Twitter and decided to throw a lot of money at it?
13: No, no. This is the most important part of this. Writing a letter to a judge filing a legal motion to throw out a settlement. It's one thing when he's, again, maybe he's just tweeting and spending $2.9 billion on Robinhood. That's one thing to take the legal actions in parallel That is not a knee-jerk, send out a tweet, press one button on your phone. The world's richest man is in a fight with a government regulator over his usage of a specific platform. He just went and essentially bought the platform or became the most powerful person within that company. That kind of behavior, it's crazy in the US, like in a functional capital market like these are the kind of things that you just would not normally think happen of course there's plenty of discussion will he reinstate Trump's account how will he handle will he uh, go after Twitter employees if they make uh, censorship decisions you know is he going to bring in new board members that are more favorable to his politics so obviously there's a million different ways to look at this
4: do you expect him to throw his weight around on the board?
13: I think he will throw his weight around because that's the fun thing to do. That's the, you know, I mean, whatever anyone will say about Elon Musk, he loves Twitter. He loves a platform. He has shown himself to be the one of the greatest users of it. So yeah, I, I cannot see why he would take the board seat without trying to influence things. And again, remember, all of this over the last few months has been around this idea of censorship or his view of freedom of speech. So I do think that this is a topic that is genuinely important to him, whether you agree with his views on it or not. And I cannot imagine why he would go through all of this to not exercise some power or strength around the topic.
4: I feel compelled as a journalist to point out that if you are talking about freedom of speech vis-a-vis the First Amendment, the First Amendment protects you from the government. It does not mean that Twitter can't tell you what to say on its platform. And I wonder what other people on the board, I, I think about sort of maybe boring, respectable people like Bob Zellick, who you know, was a longtime hand in Republican administrations and, and, and head of the World Bank, like, what do they do with that? What do they do with the Elon Musk view of free speech?
13: I, I think that's what makes this even more interesting because board of directors over the last you know decade, especially around tech companies, have not been the most active, have not taken courageous stances in in, in many cases. So I do think that I mean. Would you want to be the boring board member that goes up against Elon? Up to date, we have not seen anyone outspoken around the issues that plague Twitter from the board. So I don't I cannot imagine anyone would try to go up against him on anything.
11: This is from consequence.net. It's a description of other reporting Uh, extreme suffering. 15 of 23 monkeys with Elon Musk's Neuralink brain chips reportedly died. And the other eight also had severe damage. So, this is just from Ren Graves. Out of the 23 monkeys implanted with Elon Musk's Neuralink brain chips at the University of California, Davis, I'll repeat that again, the University of California, Davis, uh, between 2017 and 2020, at least 15 reportedly died. Neuralink was founded in 2016 with the goal of helping people recover from traumatic brain and spinal cord injuries, curing depression and other mental health disorders, and connecting humans to the internet for everything from music streaming to near telepathic communication. i Pie in the sky stuff. Why do you hate science if you're if you're skeptical about where this is going? The company has often touted its successes, such as a demonstration on a pig in 2020 and a 2021 video of a macaque playing pong with its mind. Uh, project has attracted great deal in- interest from Sylvie Zick like Grimes and Little Uzivert. And you know, people mm. suffering from the actual <laughs> issues that it purports to want to solve. But skip a little bit ahead uh, to this uh, these findings here. Pretty much every single monkey that had implants put in their head suffered from pretty debilitating health effects so the PCRM's research advocacy director Jeremy Beckham they were frankly maiming and killing the animals neural chimps were Christ. implanted by drilling holes into the monkey's skulls one primate developed a bloody skin infection had to be euthanized another was discovered missing fingers and toes possibly from self-mutilation mutilation or some other speci- unspecified trauma and had to be put down a third began uncontrollably vomiting after surgery and days later appeared to collapse from exhaustion fatigue An autopsy revealed that animal suffered from a brain hemorrhage. And so there's been a response for these organizations. And I, we'll read that just in the interest of full, um, uh, you know, just to air out with their response, but you find out it's not very satisfying uh, because it's really like, we're technically following rules, although that's debatable as the response to that is. And, you're getting in the way of science if you don't allow us to. So I just want to say this. In their response to the allegations, Neuralink said the use of research animals is nothing new to the field of novel medical devices and treatments. Uh, and that a company they are absolutely committed to working with animals in the most humane and ethical way profitable. Mm. Sorry. Let me say it again. The most humane and ethical way profitable. I'll try it again. The most humane and ethical way possible. There I got the third time. Um, <laughs> uh, yep. Right? And so while detailing their research process, Neuralink sets the process, blah, blah, blah. I don't read this. I want to get to this response. Uh, Neuralink's recent blog post, this is from the PCRM uh, in charge of the suit here. Uh, Neuralink's recent blog post defending its use of 23 monkeys for surgical brain implant experiments doesn't change the horrific treatment that the public records reveal monkeys were used by Neuralink at UC Davis uh, did have portions of their skulls removed and devices screwed to their skulls. Neuralink did use a substance. By the way, Elon Musk uh, wants to have testing on U S sub, uh, human subjects, He said 2021, and now he says it's going to be 2022. 2022 is this year. I'll continue. Neuralink did use a substance called, quote, BioGlue, which was not approved for use in these experiments and has been widely known to be toxic to nerve tissue since at least 2001. BioGlue came into contact with the surface of at least two monkeys' brains, causing damage and hemorrhaging. One monkey suffered for days after the damage. I'm not going to read this entire um, thing, but Mm -hmm. suffice to say, Say, like, it's a bunch – it's the same sort of bullshit, right? Like, yeah, like, the patterns are clear here.
6: I mean, every kind of stop or um, question mark, you know, ethically that they faced, they said, oh, we're just going to go – we're just going to yeah. plow through it, essentially. I mean, imagine, um, you know, the the animal testing laws in this country are not perfect, you know, certainly. But, Lord, I mean, imagine if, uh, you know – this is them sort of like clawing at the edge of like acceptability for most people. Yes. Imagine if in particularly like legally, imagine if there were less protections for people. Um, I, I hate to, to to think about it. I mean, this just goes back to one of these things about Musk. I said at the beginning of the show that, you know, for all the people who try to present this person as someone who. Uh, is always oh, a forward thinker. He's a futurist. He's a new kind of capitalist. He's, uh, you know, bringing us into the next level. I mean, Jesus Christ, Mass Effect, like, uh, you know, put him into their like video game lore. you know, basically implying that he was the one who brought humans into space, right? You know, just, just like really, really, um, in, in incredible and delusional stuff. But that was the, uh, you know, that was the PR game, um, for most of the 2010s with him. But the fact is, is this guy is just an old kind of gilded age capitalist from the racism in his factories to the abuse of animals and nature as much as as he can get it on. Um, this is not somebody who is forward thinking and as much as he is somebody who sees that there are some kind of developments and directions things are going into. And he's willing to put himself and his companies in a position where they will go further in – breaking and testing the law than other companies, right? You know, you see that Matt and I did a whole thing a while ago about the um, autopilot system that he has. And one of the things that, that's notable is this thought that his company was the first one to develop that technology. His company was the first one to say that we are willing to put it out on the roads when it is not ready to be on the roads, despite the fact that that might kill people yeah. as it has right? You know, Google, for example, was also working on autopilot systems. And they said, you know, Google, again, not a nice company, but it was a company that they said, we don't want to put something out there that could potentially hurt people and also hurt our brands, you know, reliability, right? Whatever logic made that decision. The point is that they were saying like, you know, the risks here are too high. Tesla and SpaceX, you know, these other corporations, they're willing to push far past what other groups of people um, are willing to go. And it's to our detriment. If it was just like maybe one of the companies, you could maybe say, well, you know, this is sort of the excess of like that industry. But if you notice from project to project, you're getting the same stores, you know, it should give you pause.
11: Yeah, I want to read also one final paragraph for this uh, because I think UC Davis's role needs to be more – like Elon has a certain degree of insulation from this sort of heat for some Mm -hmm. reason. I mean, maybe you'll catch up with him. I hope so. But like, so here's this from this, um, From Marina Poll of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uh, that's uh, suing over this Neuralink stuff. In addition, Neuralink's claim that UC Davis was in compliance with federal animal welfare standards is demonstrably false. In 2018, while Neuralink was funding primate experiments at the university, seven infant primates at UC Davis died due to poisoning caused by the negligence of university employees. The same year, UC Davis paid a $5,000 fine to the U.S. Department of Agriculture due to its pattern of violating the Federal Animal Welfare Act. I mean, this is a uh, a clear goal for like doing these segments about Musk. Is that when he comes to a place like UC Davis, and I don't know how you know ethical they are <laughs> outside of doing shit for Musk projects, or like a municipality, people are skeptical to the point of wary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? These partnerships have got to get blown up. And this is the problem is like, why does he get to decide this shit? Is because he was in the right rooms with your know, venture capital people mm-hmm. a couple of decades ago. And now he gets to be, sit at the helm of multiple pivotal technologies. And basically where he gets his ideas from is like you said, what is Google too responsible to do? <laughs> Let yeah. me do that.
0: We've just heard clips today starting with Second Thought breaking down the myth of the self-made billionaire. Deconstructed highlighted many, though not all, of the reasons why the myth of Musk is a fraud. Some just had to be cut for time. The Young Turks looked at the accusations of rampant racism within Tesla. Some more news highlighted the farce of the Boring Company. The Majority Report called out Musk's childlike libertarian view on the functioning of government. What Next TBD looked at Musk's fight with the SEC over Twitter and Left Reckoning highlighted the animal abuse inherent in Musk's Neuralink company as a window into the consistent pattern of reckless behavior throughout his companies. That's what everyone heard, but members also heard a bonus clip from Tech Won't Save Us breaking down the two basic philosophies of space exploration, colonization for profit, and scientific inquiry for the sake of knowledge.
9: And you'll notice, by the way, that Bezos and Musk and all these space bros, they're not interested in science. They're interested in engineering, maybe, but they're not interested in science for science's sake, because science you know, doesn't make any money. To hear that
0: and have all of our bonus content delivered seamlessly into your new members-only podcast feed that you'll receive, sign up to support the show at bestofleftcom support, or request a financial hardship membership because we don't make a lack of funds a barrier to hearing more information. Every request is granted, no questions asked. And now,
5: we'll hear from you. Hi Jay, it's Dave from Wolfie, Washington. This has been a long time and stuff has happened. Uh, I dropped off this world. There were a series of crises and near crises. I hit rock bottom with some of those crises. I dealt with some others and I was like, I have six months of best of my feed, so I just, you know, went to the last unlistened one. It was the back back October. Um the propaganda episode. So I guess technically I'm in a time loop again. I don't know if I will be recording for my time travels or not, but oh, a fine episode. But also at the end there's a voicemail from V from New York. And it was just oh, it was delightful. Uh you know, <laughs> this dad driving the station wagon into the carport of my heart moments and i'm like oh i'm home okay i remember why i love this and i love these people so as always awesome awesome show but even better than that you build a community and that is as or maybe more valuable i don't know so love you guys take care i will catch up before too long and start contributing voicemails but just i'm back on the path and just wanted to say hi i'm back on the path take care Thanks to all those
0: who called into the voicemail line or wrote in their messages to be played as voicemails. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, you can record a message at 202-999-3991 or write me a message to j at bestofluff.com. Glad to hear from Dave from Olympia. Obviously, sorry to hear about his various comments crises that he's been dealing with. I do sometimes wonder where he's run off to when I don't hear from him for a while, but he always comes back, so I, I try not to worry. It is sort of amazing that he is helping to pitch our Discord community probably months before he will have heard about it. The community that may have formed around the sort of platform of voicemails on the show has now expanded to the Discord platform where Best of Left has a community. Link's And details on joining are in the show notes. So please do that if you're interested. Uh, Dave also would be a good person to ask about uh, what we've learned in the past 15 years. I'm doing some research and, and thinking about that sort of stuff for episode 1500, but he probably won't even know about that till the fall. You know, he'll be sipping a pumpkin spice latte and think, Oh man, I would have had some good ideas for that. So. If unlike Day from Olympia, you are living in the present rather than six months in the past, I invite you to join our Discord community, although actually you can do that anytime. That's not particularly time-sensitive, but the second one is more time-sensitive. If you have any thoughts to share about major things you have learned about politics, maybe just in the last... 15 years, but maybe you learned something particularly interesting Uh, longer ago than that. I'm prepping ideas to put into a special edition for episode 1500. So, you know, what are the kinds of ideas that you feel like are somewhat foundational to your understanding of the world? For instance, here's one for me that I learned or, you know, had the thought about mm, more than five years ago, probably less than ten. It is easier to destroy than to build. And so there will always be a structural disadvantage for those who wish to use government power for good to build something out of it, compared to those who seek to simply dismantle the government, obviously, except for the citizen anti-abortion bounty hunter program. And uh, here's another one that comes up a lot. Free speech does not mean consequence free speech. People get confused about that quite frequently, I think. I mean, the New York Times- Quite recently, published an opinion piece which stated that Americans have, quote, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned, unquote. No, they don't. <laughs> Shaming and shunning people who step too far outside social norms is actually foundational to maintaining a cohesive society and progressing it forward, I might add. And speaking freely without consequence has never been the idea behind our First Amendment. But almost any time anyone gets in trouble for saying something awful and they, you know, lose their job or have to face some other sort of consequence for it, they almost inevitably make claims of their free speech rights being violated. And it's uh, sort of comedic. We have to continue to uh, clarify that. So you get the sense of the types of things that came to my mind, at least, but feel free to interpret the question any way you like. And also, sort of separately, parallel, I've been putting out a call for recommendations of interesting stuff that you've been seeing or hearing. Could be a podcast episode, could be a video you saw online, a documentary, whatever, whatever. I want to know about it. So if you're a member and you're on our Discord community, we have a whole section for these types of things, recommendations. You know, I I post things in there as well, and anyone is free to post them. So you can add your own. Um, But if you're not on Discord or you're not a member or whatever, please feel free to send in your suggestions. You can tweet at us or you can send me an email or a voicemail or whatever. As always, you can send in those kinds of recommendations or leave any sort of comments by calling in at 202-999-3991 or by emailing me to j at bestofalef.com. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Dion Clark and Aaron Clayton for their research work for the show and participation in our bonus episodes. Thanks to the monosyllabic transcriptionist trio Ben, Ken, and Scott for their volunteer work helping put our transcripts together. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets, activism segments, graphic designing, webmastering, and bonus show co-hosting. And thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or purchasing gift memberships at bestoftheleft.com support through our Patreon page or from right inside the Apple Podcasts app. Membership is how you get instant access to our incredibly good bonus episodes, in addition to there being extra content and no ads in all of our regular episodes, all through your regular podcast player. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you twice weekly, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.